0: let in this week's parasha tells us The Moshe Rabbeinu said to Klal Yisrael V'atikrivun elai kulchem You all came to me <clears throat> V'ataymru nishlacha nashim l'fanenu And you said We should send We should send people before us. They should spy out the land. They should bring word back to us about the path that we're going to take. And the cities that we're going to come to. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to Klal Yisrael, You came to me. And asked that I should send Miriam into Kalius, into Eretz Yisrael. But if we go back to Parsha Shlach, the Adaber Hashem, mm-hmm. Hashem said to Moshe, "Shlach lecha anosh, send people." levnei send spies. To the land, to Eretz Canaan, that I'm giving to you guys. So we have a clear stira in psukim. We have a contradiction in the psukim. Who sent the Miraglin? Posuk by us, Moshe Abeinu says clearly, it was you guys. you approached me. And by and in Parsha Shlach, it's ve'yidaber Hashem anoshelim or Shlach l'cha So who was it? Did Klal Yisrael demand for Miraglim to be sent? Or did HaKadosh Baruch Hu command for Moshe to send Miraglim in? So Rashi already answers this Tira. Rashi says, Really, it was Klal Yisrael. Really, it was Klal Yisrael. Listen to what Rashi says. Shlach Lecha, L'daytcha. Ani, aini Hashem says, me... I'm not commanding you. You do what you want. I'm not commanding you. Levi Yisrael, I'm sorry, Em Shlach. Shlach. If you want, go ahead. If you want, go ahead. So really, even though HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Shlach there's a subtext. A story behind the story. What's the story behind The story that really Klal Yisrael already wanted to and really Klal Yisrael already came to and said we want to send Miraglim to Eretz Yisrael. and Baruch who said in Terza if you want, Shla. what's going on over here there's a number of questions that we have to ask and not my questions, they're the questions of the Lubavitcher Rebbe from they're beautiful questions. The Rebbe points out that this is the very first time since Klal Yisrael has received the Torah that there's an initiative, something that Klal Yisrael is doing that doesn't come because HaKadosh Baruch was mitzavahed them to do it. Up until now, what Klal Yisrael does, we do because HaKadosh Baruch Hu said, do this. And here, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying it's up to you. What happened? What changed? What's the significance of the fact that now we're being given a choice? Do what you feel is right. That's the first question. The second question is, should this have been a, a warning to Meish Rabbeinu if HaKadosh Baruch Hu says in teretz shlach, you know, it's like sometimes, sometimes a a, a parent or a rebbe might say to you if you if you come to him and you ask for advice, should I do this or should I not do this? The rebbe goes, eh, do what you want. Sometimes you're smart enough to hear what the rebbe is really saying. What's the rebbe really saying? That's a terrible idea. Don't do that. But I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But don't do that. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But don't do that. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is saying to Moshe Rabbeinu, Look, if you want, to do it. It doesn't sound like the best idea. And we have many writers that Moshe Rabbeinu knew that it wasn't a great idea. Why did he give a bracha to Yoshua? Rashi says that Moshe Rabbeinu said, Don't fall into the hands of the Miraglim. There's not a good intention over here. So clearly Moshe Rabbeinu understood this is not a good idea. So why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu stop it? And not only that, but if you look at our it says, <laughs> This thing, this idea that you had to send Miraglim into the land of Eretz Canaan, into Eretz Yisrael, it was, it was good in my eyes. It was a good idea in my eyes. It's a good idea. You knew that it wasn't a good idea. That's why you gave Yoshua a bracha. What does it mean it's a good idea? It's not a good idea. It's not a good idea. What are talking about And if it's such a bad idea, then why does Meshav Abenu only give a bracha to Yoshua? Why doesn't he give a bracha to all the miracles? Seems like only Yoshua gets a bracha. And then the strangest thing of all is that at the very, very end of the story... Who ends up going into Eretz It's Yoshua. And right before Yoshua goes into Eretz what does Yoshua do? He sends Miraglim. How could Yoshua, the Talmud Muvak of Moshe Rabbeinu, make the same mistake? How could he send Miraglim into Eretz But fascinatingly, even though you think it's a mistake, it doesn't work out as badly as it did the first time. When the Miraglim came back from Eretz Yisrael, it doomed that entire generation to die in the Midbar. It was a terrible risk. Why would Yoshua do it? Somehow it worked out. Why did it work out? We have to see. We have to explain. But it's a bad idea. And Yoshua does it anyway. What's the pshat? So I want to share with you this amazing pshat. Once I saw this, I said, I know this is what I want to share with you guys. It's what's on my heart right now. I want to talk about free choice. There's two types of free choice. There's a free choice that's what we'll call a somewhat encumbered free choice. There's a type of free choice that you make that choice and you own that choice and it's your choice, but not exactly fully your choice. I'll give you an example of this. If your mother tells you to take out the garbage, do you have free choice? Of course you have free choice. You could turn around and you could say, mom, I'm not taking out the garbage. But who's gonna do that? This is your mother, she loves you, she gave birth to you, she cares about you, you care about her. Of course, of course you're gonna say yes to that. Do you have free choice? Of course you have free choice. But it's not a fully free choice. Because the second that there's any, any push, any tilt towards one side, you can't say it's a totally free choice. It's a choice. It's a free choice, but not a completely free choice. A mitzvah, of course, is free choice. To do a mitzvah is free choice. But is it really free choice? Is it totally free choice? The answer is, in a certain way, it's not a totally free choice. Why? Because we have godly souls. Because, because every single Jew in their heart yearns to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and do what HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks of us. Every one of us wants to do the right thing. Okay, sometimes we don't, sometimes we have a funny thought, we're in a funny place, we do a funny thing. But really, Ba'etzem, what do we want? We know what we want. We want to do the right thing, we have a godly soul, we want to connect to our maker. That's the natural state of what it means to be a Jew. I had the opportunity today to interview somebody. He's about tshuva for about a year now. He told me a story. I don't have a shush to tell the whole story, so I'm not going to, but a fascinating story. He has a Christian father, he has a Jewish mother, and somehow... With no Jewish education whatsoever, he found himself teaching in a Hebrew school. Uh, What were you teaching in a Hebrew school? You had no Jewish education. He said, they gave me what to teach. They like boiled it down so basic that I could teach it. I'm teaching in a Hebrew school. And then he somehow, when he was in college, he ended up going to the Chabad for a Kabbalat Shabbat every Friday night. And so he was connected in college. And then somehow he ended up leading birthright trips. The guy is not from Bechlal. His father is Christian. He has zero Jewish education. And he's leading birthright trips. And after his second birthright trip, he just stayed. He just stayed. And he's been an ace for the past year. The Jewish soul does not know how to stop being Jewish. It's a crazy thing. You speak to people, again, we grow up with it. We're so connected to it that sometimes we don't realize how connected to it we are. It's hard to go off the debt. You have to work at going off the derech. You see people who try to go off the derech. A chav of mine he said to me, I did my absolute best to go off the derek. I just couldn't shake it. I just couldn't shake it. Because the Jewish soul craves to connect to HaKadosh Baruch That's why all of us in this room are frustrated. What are we frustrated by? We're frustrated by davening. Why are we so frustrated by davening? Because every one of us is hoping, wishing that we could daven and it would be meaningful. Because we want to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. We're not bad people. It's just hard to read the sinner every single day, three times a day, and not feel a sense of connection. It's a hard thing to do. We yearn for that connection. When a kid goes off the derrach, he's not going off the derrach because he's a bad kid. He's going off the derrach because he's like, "I, I don't know how to connect to this thing. I don't know what you're looking for from me. And he's right. It's a hard thing to connect to. But sometimes the kids that go up the derch are the ones who are most on the derch because they're screaming out the loudest how badly they want to connect. It's just so difficult for them. And they're not going to be the good kid that just does it even though it means nothing to them. So they're going to scream and they're going to cry and they're going to throw a temper tantrum until somebody tells them how to get into it. The Jewish soul, when it gets a mitzvah, it does not have absolute true free choice. But there is a second type of free choice. And this is the free choice that I'm excited to talk to you about tonight. There's a free choice where you're absolutely, totally, and unencumbered. You can make whatever choice you want. I want to talk to you about what that choice looks like for a second. It's not the choice of a mitzvah. It's not, wake up and daven, put on tzitzes, put on tefillin. It's not a mitzvah that we're talking about. It's something much deeper. <laughs> it's, do you have the natural desire to make your life meaningful? It's nothing you could point to. It's not like you could say, he learned another black Gemara. He was harving on another Tysus. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the, the things you can't point to. The small gestures the sensitivities of what it means to be a yid. And, and I don't want to get into the specifics, because I don't want to start playing the game of, is this sensitivity a good sensitivity or a bad sensitivity, and then people are going to lose the message in, Berg roasted this particular sensitivity. That's not what this is about. You all know for yourselves, what are the areas of sensitivity that we need to work on. They're not mitzvos. There's no commandment. You could do with it what you want in your life. There's such a thing called being an accountant, and there's being an accountant like a yid. There's such a thing as going to college, and there's going to college like a yid. There's no mitzvah. There's just a sense of dignity. There's a sense of godliness that permeates your life. I'll share with you a nice. My wife is a fairly intelligent woman. And she was a national merit finalist. And she got a perfect score on the math section of her SATs. And she decided that she didn't want to go to college because she didn't want to waste her time in college. So she said, I'll just teach myself from a book, I'll just teach myself actuarial mathematics, and I'll pass all the actuary exams, and then I'll become an actuary. And if you don't know what an actuary is, it's a high level of math. I personally failed out of math three twice, so that's why I married her. This way my kids have a shot. Baruch Hashem, they're all good at math. <laughs> but Lemaisa, she got a job in AIG an AIG, and her boss's name was Pat Riley. Not that Pat Riley. There's two Pat Rileys. One Pat Riley lives in Miami, slicked back hair, showtime Lakers. He's a pretty cool guy. There's another Pat Riley who's an Irish man who wears suspenders and a bow tie to work, and he's a math nerd. And he works in the AIG. That Pat Riley was my wife's boss. And they had a meeting. And in the meeting, somebody cursed. Somebody used a swear word. And so after the meeting, my wife's in her little cubicle area, and Pat Riley comes and he sits down with her and he says to my wife, Mrs. Berg, I want you to know that we're going to go to HR to speak to this person about the language that he used in the meeting in front of you. Because he, he dropped a certain curse in front of you. And my wife, she's a from woman, she doesn't want to make any waves. So she said, like, it's okay, you know, Like I have brothers, I've heard these words before, you know. So Pat Riley says to her, no, no, no. We know you're not supposed to use these words in front of you. She wasn't a Robinson, she wasn't i uh, I can't imagine, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine that she was in the middle of AIG pulling out a Tehillim and, and crying into a Tehillim and, and chuckling like she was having a seizure. I can't imagine that this is the Avira that, that was around her. So what did Pat Riley see? Why did he know, not that he needs to go to HR because a person cursed in a meeting, but because they cursed in front of Eliza? Because when a Yid lives with an avirah of kedusha around them, there's no mitzvah that you could point to. But there's a choice that we make that Yiddish permeates our lives. It's not a commandment. It's a it's a chush. It's who you are. It's how am I dressing today? How do I show up to Davin? There's no mitzvah. I'm not talking about a mitzvah. I'm talking about a sensitivity. I remember when I was in camp, Summer after ninth grade, I went to a camp here in Eretz Israel, and my counselor gave me Musser that I was wearing shorts to Daven. In my entire life, I had never heard of this sensitivity. I mean, I was, I was dressed. In my mind, I was dressed. I pants are like, for the week, you know, like, it's the summer in Eretz Israel. you wear shorts. And he said to me, Matt, you have to know, there's nothing I could point to to tell you that it's Usser, but it's not the way a Yid Daven is. It wasn't, the conversation wasn't about shorts. He was sharing with me a a tshnuwa, a sensitivity. Uh, This is how a yid behaves. I remember when I was in sixth grade, I was davening with my hands in my pockets. davening with my hands in my pockets. Rabbi said, is there anything wrong with davening with your hands in your pockets? There's nothing wrong with davening your hands in your pockets. But my sixth grade rebbe, Rabbi Glenn, he came over to me and in the sweetest way, he said to me, Mordechai, do me a personal favor. I'm just asking a personal favor. When you daven, don't put your hands in your pockets. Guys, I'm a long way from sixth grade. I'm 43 years old. Every time I accidentally put my hands in my pockets, I hear Rabbi Glenn's voice, that sweet voice, saying to me, for me, do me a personal favor. Don't put your hands in your pockets. Rabbi, I said, there's nothing wrong with putting your hands in your pockets. You can't find me a simon in Shulchan Aruch that says don't dabble with your hands in your pockets. But it's a sensitivity. It's, it's, is this me? Is my Yiddishkeit permeating my life? When we're children, we get commandments. When we're first born as a nation, HaTadosh Baruch Hu says, here's your tzivuy, do this, do this, do this. But now, as we're about to enter into Eret Yisrael, we're growing up. It's no longer about do this or don't do that. It's larger than that. It's what are you going to contribute to your Yiddishkeit? What choices are you going to make? I was having a conversation with somebody today and he said, Rebbe, I've got these three options in front of me. I said, there's no wrong choice here, but we're going to learn a lot about you from the choice that you make. Is this your value? Is this your value? Is this your value? They're all beautiful values, but now you have to have a hierarchy. Klal Yisrael received commandments at our Sinai, but now they come to Mesh Rabbeinu and they say, as we enter into Eretz we need to own the process. We need to own the process now. So Moshe Rabbeinu was excited by this. He said, that's good. That's a way to enter into Eretz Yisrael. You don't enter into Eretz Yisrael and take a like a child. You enter into Eretz Yisrael with true free choice. And you say, it's mine to own. Moshe Rabbeinu was excited by this. But he also understood that with choice comes risk. He also understood that when you get into the area of there's no mitzvah, there's a risk, and that risk is very dangerous. And he saw that the Meraglim had certain hashkafas that were going to endanger them from coming into Eretz Israel in a way that was going to be godly. He said, I can't give you a bracha. Because if Moshe Rabbeinu will give you a bracha, then it will no longer be free choice. If Maish Rabbeinu goes over to one of the other miraglin and he says, I give you a bracha that you should be successful, then it won't be free choice anymore. It won't be them. It'll be Moshe Rabbeinu's bracha. But Yoshua ben Nun, who's the moon, relative to Moshe Rabbeinu's son, Yoshua ben Nun, who's the one who sets up the oil. Yoshua ben Nun, who's the Talmud Muvuk of Maishu Rabbeinu. To give Yoshua ben Nun a bracha is not tilting Yoshua ben Nun to one side. It's actualizing who he already is. The godless of Yoshua ben Nun is that he was so connected to Maishu Rabbeinu that the bracha that Maishu Rabbeinu gave him wasn't tilt to one side. It was be who you truly are and let that shine through in this challenging circumstance. And Rabbi's side, That is the ultimate nekuda, the ultimate point that we have to make. Are we asking you to do something that you are, or are we asking you to do something that you're not? Sometimes there's a feeling that we're coming here and saying to you guys, we want Yiddishkeit to permeate your lives, the way you act, your Midos on the streets. When you get off a bus, do you say thank you? Do you say thank you to your Madrichim after they give you a Chabura? Are you appreciative of what NCSY Kol is doing for you? Do you go over to the Hanhala of NCSY Kol after a Thursday night like this, do you go over and say thank you so much for everything you do? And not only in terms of our Hanhala, but everything, the way we dress, the way we speak. Are we Jewish? I had a, a Rebbe one time, it was a fire and brimstone Rebbe. And some of the guys were making fun of Chassidim. They were making fun of the way they dress. And this Rebbe was a fire and brimstone Rebbe. And I don't agree with everything he said. But he said to those boys on that day in a sharp manner, he said to them in a fiery manner, You know what Rabbi said? You could make fun of them, but at least when they walk the streets, you know they're Jewish. It's powerful Musser. It's powerful Musser. And he said to them, again, he was a sharp Rebbe, and he said, you know, sometimes if I was walking down the streets of New York City and I see a kid in a baseball hat and t-shirt and shorts, I wouldn't know he's Jewish. The only people that would know they're Jewish, I remember he made this joke because I loved it. He said, the only people that know they're Jewish is Chabad, Because they have like a sense of like seeing somebody and knowing like that guy's a Jew. It's, it's, it's generations of cultivating a sixth sense of that's got to be a Jew. I'm going to put tefillin on them. But a regular person, he said, you would never know. So you might think to yourself, is that me? Am I somebody who could allow Yiddishkeit to permeate his life? And the answer is, we're not asking you to do something that's extrinsic. We're not asking you to become something that you're not. We're asking you to align yourself with who you truly are. Aligning yourself with who you truly are is not heavy. It's light, it's inspired. It's motivating, it's exciting. It's not. A, it's not like feel like I don't want to carry this burden. I don't want to carry the burden of davening three times a day, guys. I hear you. I hear you. I don't want to carry the burden of having to learn every single day. I hear you. If it's something extrinsic to yourself, it's I have to daven. I have to learn. If it's something internal, it's a completely different experience. Of course, I'm going to daven. That's what Dovid Melach said. But I need tefillah. I am davening. That's the avodah by side. As we grow up. You're not children anymore. You're not 8, 9, 10 years old. You're not 13-year-old little kids. You're, you're you're young adults now. You're 16 and 17 years old. And you're at a point in your life where you have to ask yourself, of course I'm going to do a mitzvah. The shila is, is this just something where I check the box? I checked the box of the mitzvah. I did the mitzvah. I checked the box. Or is it truly a free choice away from the influence so to speak, about Kodesh Baruch Hu's direct commandment while I allow myself to shine through and really be the Yid that I know I am? That's the question that's in front of us. And there's no one answer to this question. There's no, I'm leaving NCSY Colel. There's no, I'm leaving NCSY Colel. And the answer to the question is yes. That's not the way this works. If you're walking out of this program thinking after six weeks, I'm never going to do an Aveira again, I'm going to go to the top shear, I'm going to steig away, I'm going to be perfect, I'm going to be a mitsuyon. If you're walking away and you think that, Rabbi Sa, you're making a grave mistake. Life is a series of ups and downs. It's not the pshat that we're asking you, be perfect. What we're asking you is, be engaged. Ride the wave. Be committed. Allow yourself to find yourself and to discover yourself with all dimensions. Sometimes it's miraglum and it won't go and it'll be a disaster. But if you stay with it, Yoshua ben Nun said, I know the miraglum could be great. I know the concept of free choice, of going in and exploring. I know that could be great. So Yoshua bin Nun didn't give up on it. He said, my Rebbe said Miraglam could be great and I will figure out how to make the Miraglim great. And because Yoshua bin Nun was the one who successfully was one of the Miraglim, he knew how to train them to be Miraglim too. So sometimes it will work and sometimes it won't. But the main thing is don't give up. Don't give up. You had a bad day, you had a bad week, you had a bad month, you had a bad year. You had a bad two years. You had a bad decade. Don't give up. It's a wave It goes up and it goes down But we discover ourselves within the imperfections of life People think, ah, i got to be a perfect Jew i got to in every day with Kavana It's an ambition Some days you will, some days you won't But HaKadosh Baruch Hu He loves, he loves the process He loves the process That's our Avodah Aaron HaKohen Moshe could give him a bracha Because that's who he was that's who we are, Rabbi Yisraeli. And especially now, especially now at this critical juncture of your lives, you're very young. I know some of you, some of you in this room have already become very old. Some of you in this room, ah, I'm already 16. That's uh, 16, I've already wasted half my life. Rabbi I 16 years old. You're very young. You're very young. If it wasn't going the way you wanted it to go until now, this is your opportunity to change this is your opportunity to say it's not just that I'm going to go to Chaburas but I'm paying attention I'm listening to what Madrich has to say I'm asking questions, I'm challenging him and I'm challenging myself and I'm not sure how I feel about it but I'm baderech, I'm going somewhere that's our, that's our desire we're trying to be miraglim in our lives we're trying to be spies looking at the territory of Eretz Yisrael and saying what is this chelek that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is giving to us it's a beautiful land, but it has to be our choice to go in and see the beauty of Eretz Yisrael, of Taira and of Yiddish Kaira. I have a beautiful shot.